This is Defender Radio. I'm Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers brought to you by the Fur Bearers. Portrayal of Interactions Between Humans and Coyotes, Content Analysis of Canadian Print Media, 1998 to 2010, isn't the most enthralling of titles. But the study below it had a significant impact on my career and how I perceive and engage with the media. The paper, which appeared in Cities and the Environment 10 years ago, looked into how coyote interactions with people are discussed in the media. The findings floored me when I first read the paper, and they remain a part of media sensationalism seminars I've given over the course of the last decade. Rather than try to explain what this paper was all about, I'm going to skip ahead to the interview with co-author of the study, Dr. Shelley Alexander of the University of Calgary. But first, I wanted to let you know that Defender Radio and The Switch are going to have an awesome giveaway starting next week. That's the first week of November. To make sure you get the details, follow me on Instagram at HowieMichael and sign up to receive email updates at DefenderRadio.com or TheFurBears.com. Just make sure you click that you want updates about Defender Radio. Links are in this week's show notes. The contest starts the first week of November, so stay tuned. Now, here's Dr. Shelley Alexander sharing her views 10 years later of 10 years of media content analysis, her own experiences with sensationalism, and how they've impacted her role as a researcher and educator. Take us back to 2011 when you were working on the paper with your colleague. What, what was the driving hypothesis or the concept behind it? And what were the immediate takeaways from the, uh, the portrayals in media study? I think at that time, it was just getting, a well, there were two things. It was getting a basic understanding of the phenomenon and how the reactivity or the, the, the searching for a, you know, a sensational title or the words that are used within articles might uh, change people's pers- perspective on coyotes or might fuel the negative reactions that people have or the negative sentiments they have. And also just to get a baseline of that understanding, because at the time I had been working with coyotes for a while and was shifting into more of the human dimensions and, you know, human perception and that. And there had been other research done at that time that spoke to this issue of the media's role in, um, escalating people's fear uh, in the the words or the selection of words that they would use. And so there was interest in it just, I think, academically in doing it, but also practically in that we might be able to help people understand how they might be manipulated by uh, the media portrayal. And then the second part of it was to actually use the media to get a sense of what kinds of events were going on with coyotes across Canada. So, you know, uh, the study that I had set up was in the city of Calgary. So it was fairly narrow in scope. Uh, and we were looking at conflict in within the city at that time. But media content is also a good way to understand what's going on um, within society or within you know, just uh, pr- problems that are being faced or challenges that are being faced 
because it's a place where these get recorded and research leading up you know, to this uh, shows that it's actually as valuable a way to get a, you know, a finger on the pulse of what's happening as doing questionnaires, mail out questionnaires or surveys about topics. And so it seemed like an, a novel way to try to get at this question of what kinds of events are happening between people and coyotes and, and uh, pets and coyotes across Canada? What are people concerned about? Um, how are these problems resolved? And anything else that would emerge out of that. Now, following on that, that thought of what emerges is that part of the approach that we used in this uh, is, is called grounded theory. And that is about looking for emergent phenomenon. So you're not going in specifically with questions that you, you want answered. You're, you're looking at these to see what emerges as the important topics that are happening in society uh, in this, at this time. And so the coyotes are just the focal thing you're looking at. You might have a couple of questions you're interested in, like how often are people being uh, you know, in, involved in really negative encounters with coyotes. But the way you use grounded theory is for it to tell you what are the important. The data speaks to you and, and you find the themes that emerge as what's important in there. So, Okay, so it was very much it, not just looking at the words being used in the media over time, but also then trying to identify what areas of interest there were related to coyotes and what people might be thinking or feeling related to all of this kind of stuff going on around those issues. Yeah, that's correct. And I, I think, but, but one of the, the things just to keep in mind with that is that, you know, you have kind of a general idea going going in like that, mm -hmm. like you you want to just understand basically what are people thinking, feeling, what's happening, get a pulse on that. Uh, but as you go through this form of analysis, all of these subtle things start to come up, all these other avenues of investigation start to come up, like things like, you know, what are the what are the factors that in the landscape that might influence uh, someone's dog being attacked by a coyote or a person mm -hmm. ending up in a negative situation? So you're able to use it to get more details on things you might not even realize are important to uh, society at that time. Yeah, and there's one element that I believe it came out of this one, which is the the 93 or 94 percent number, and we'll we'll circle around to that. Um, but if, in terms of you know, it's 2011. This has now been published. Uh, what were the takeaways that you got from that final version of the study um, as it was published? Now, are you interested in? Sorry, Michael, are you interested in the the media content for for a portrayal or or both aspects of the media content, like the because it, it was published into two different papers. Right. Um, I think the media aspect is that that's the the focal point. Um, the media the, portrayal. Yeah, media portrayal. Yeah. Okay. So I think the, the biggest takeaway there was the the amount of negative language and volatile language used to describe events and encounters with coyotes that uh, were usually quite benign. 
Uh, and so, and then the other was the actual rarity of, of negative encounters that happen. Um, but there are also some other really interesting trends that showed up there, including things like the, the change in the language that's used by media over time uh, from, from things like maybe just the descriptors like, uh, you know, it attacks or it was a brazen attack. Suddenly there was a shift over to this language. It was much more criminal intent. Like it implied some kind of forethought and, and um, really criminalized the behavior, spoke of it in criminal terms like the assailant, uh, the coyotes would be called the assailant or they would flee the scene. Uh, they were, um, you know, marauding and, and stealing. And so there was a language there that, uh, emerged for about a five-year period that really uh, changed the, the, the way you might see the role of that animal in the environment, that they're actually almost implied that the coyotes would come in and would think about this and do this uh, intentionally to people, as opposed to the fact they're just moving around the landscape, uh, just taking advantage of, of situations that are there. Uh, so, so that was an interesting um, piece to that as well. And I think the other thing that came up is a little bit surprising there was there actually was uh, a good amount of representation of expert advice from scientists, more, more than I thought would be there. So there was more balance in the articles in terms of getting the educational material out uh, to, at the same time. But the language that was used remained quite negative and inflammatory about, you know, how coyotes were depicted when they were doing these acts. The other final thing there, I think that was really, you know, the stark contrast was between how the media would portray coyotes doing things like killing a pet mm -hmm. versus people killing coyotes. And so when coyotes would kill something like a pet, they were murderers, they were uh, killers, uh, they they would be described as ravaging the animal, the you know, ravaging the pet, uh, leaving bits and pieces strewn around. Whereas when when the media would speak to what would happen after those coyotes had done that, where where a government agency or whatever would go out and uh, kill a coyote, the language around humans engaged in that same killing. Uh, was really sanitized. So you get things like we euthanized the coyote or it was dispatched. Yep. Uh, and so I think that was probably, you know, one of the more interesting things to come out of that is that dichotomy of how we, how we talk about coyotes doing things that are natural um, and, and, and engaging in behavior of getting food to survive and food to feed their families uh, and then, you know, we don't we don't use any terms like that uh, for for ourselves procuring food. But then also, if we were to be, you know, reporting on somebody who had been killed, we would never use that same kind of language to describe the human perpetrator. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's I. So for some context for folks. Around 10 years ago, I was a journalist and struggling a bit with the way things were being done in some regards. So when I'd read about environmental stuff, when I'd read about animal stuff, I'd, I'd read it and it felt uncomfortable to me. And I couldn't always say why. 
Uh, I had primarily written about crime up till this point. So I had a lot of knowledge of that realm. And I think it was aspects of that. So, you know, talking about comparing coyotes to criminals or using criminal language in crime reporting, you would never say that about a criminal or an alleged criminal, right? You would say they are alleged until proven in or until proven guilty. And you would be very specific with who said what and when, and was this the police? Is this fact or was this some bystander's opinion? But then reading about wildlife and dogs and coyotes, all of those rules just went out the window. And that's when I came across this paper and I came across your work and it, and it was just, it was eye-opening for me to actually see sort of some of these concerns that have been starting to float around my head really just laid out plain as day for anyone to read and go, oh, wow, we're not doing great at this necessarily. Um, so I, yeah. I, I wonder too, was there a response from the, the media, you know, other than me emailing you uh, or other publications about the clear measurable bias that appeared to be in place that came as a result uh, of your work? I think the interest that came around it was really from more from the wildlife community. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I want to also point out that one of the one of the things you're talking about there is sort of the rule of the rule of uh, in, in media that, you know, you shouldn't stereotype. Yeah. And I think that was one of the, and, and that, that actually was something that had been written about previously, um, uh, by Beckhoff, Mark Beckhoff mm -hmm. on this issue of stereotyping, uh, of wildlife anyway. Um, so there was some prior research on that as well, but, uh, this, this notion of stereotyping where, in, in the case of a human, like you're saying, you have to, you have all these cautions in place about how you would describe that person so that you're not prejudicing any one particular group of person by label, a group of people by labeling yeah. that, uh, the appearance of that, that person. Uh, and, and yet in the case of a coyote, one coyote is all, they're presumed to be all the same. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you, uh, you, you label one that's done something wrong and, uh, they don't, people don't think of them as actually individuals engaged in that behavior. It then extrapolates to all. So it stereotypes all coyotes that way. So, yeah. um, so just to, you know, to add a little bit to that, but I, I think, you know, I've, I've over time, I've, I've actually ended up working with media people directly as we're doing an article or as an article gets released to correct some of the language that comes afterwards. But I think people were interested in it, but the, the, there wasn't like a call out from media um, asking me to read that paper or a response, like any sort of response to it. It was m more, like I said, from the uh, wildlife community. Yeah. Those of us going, it's like, yeah, I know. Thanks for showing us. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> Uh, but no, it's, it's been about 10 years, right? 10 plus years uh, since the paper was completed prior to 2011. Um, the research happened prior to that. But coyotes continue to be a part of life for everybody in Canada, or most people in Canada. And, you know, arguably there is more presence now. And that can be attributed to a number of factors, including just surveillance technology being at the fingertips of everyone. But would you say you have seen a change? Uh, in your experience working with media, observing media, and working with wildlife, 
in how it's being reported by and large, specifically canids and coyotes, but in general, since that 10 year point or 10 year ago point when this paper was released? My sense is when I, for the most part, when I do interviews, I feel like there's more equal representation and a little less, uh, overall, a little less uh, inflammatory language. And, you know, I will have reporters who approach me that are, you know, very supportive of getting the right message out. You know, there's always the, the concern that if you don't know that person, you're, not, you're never quite sure how it's going to get spun. But, you know, I feel like there has been some gain and some sort of change, some change in a positive way about the, you know, the, the messaging actually being a little more balanced uh, and trying to tell the story more fully. But there's still, there's still a lot of use of inflammatory language and a lot of um, times that you see something that, that, you know, you'll have a complete story and the whole story is actually important. All of the facts are actually important to telling the correct story. And then just one or two will get used or get used slightly out of context. And then it, um, or grossly out of context. Yep. And, uh, and, and then the, the, all the science is lost in it. And the, the message can actually be very destructive in the end to, to, the, whole, to the whole process. But I would say on balance, um, I'm encountering more uh, more media who are very open to telling that story in a balanced way that doesn't have negative repercussions on the individual or the population of coyotes. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I think I see more opportunities for engagement from experts, though you definitely correctly point out that it doesn't necessarily take a lot of bad coverage to suddenly become a problem. Uh, and, you know, one bad article can, with the advents of social media, suddenly be reached by millions of people, even though it is not, it's not a quality article. Um, or there is misinformation or disinformation, as the case sometimes is. Uh, and, and I think where we saw some of this was with Stanley Park. And, and I just want to touch on it quickly, and we don't have to go in depth, but there were two questions. Uh, one, how do you think the coverage of the 40-plus bites and other encounters will impact coexistence going forward? And this is something we've talked a little bit off, about off the air. And I'd also like to very briefly touch on the live interview when two anchors during the live interview very much took what you were saying and incorrectly summarized in the form of rather explosive questions. Uh, and fortunately, you were able to correct that information and it, it is now being looked at as an example uh, in some cases of media sensationalism. But I thought to start in this little mini section, Let's talk about the, the coverage of the, the Stanley Park coyotes and how that may influence uh, coyotes and storytelling about coyotes across the country. Well, you know, I think there's positives and negatives here when I look at that situation. Mm -hmm. uh, the negatives being that there was a lot of, there were misinformation, there were missing critical pieces of information missing from some of the they may not have been missing in the original broadcast, but then they would be missing in the, the subsequent ones. There was, you know, the, the sensationalism 
you know, would, would create some more of a more fear and tension in public around getting uh, dealing with that. The, the the focus on the number of bites, you know, if you know, oh, there's been 40 bites rather than, you know, there's one or two individual coyotes here that have been, you know, very negatively affected by food conditioning and a variety of other things. Uh, rather than focusing on those those facts, the the the, the wrong pieces got focused on. And when I say wrong, I mean in that they have the potential to really distort what's going on. Mm -hmm. So instead of it being one or two coyotes, it's like people will perceive that there are, you know, coyotes running lose biting people all over the place, as opposed to this is an event that's been allowed to go on for a long time. And so those details were lo are lost and people can't really get that whole picture. And so that, that negative, that, that's a negative part that I think will have, you know, it's, 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 it's become an example for, for, for people who think that coexistence isn't possible. It's become an example of, 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 Look at, you know, this is a case where, you know, an enormous number of people are bitten. Coexistence is impossible. That's what, you know, can, that's what can happen from this information uh, or this misinformation. Um, and, you know, so it places in question the whole process and everything that most of us who have been doing coexistence research for a long time have been have been trying to educate people on so it had it it's probably had some negative impact in that area um in terms of the po the positives though i think it's there were a lot of voices represented in this issue that didn't don't normally get coverage and and it became you know coyote stuff is always polarized in the media but in this case you had just such strong opposition to and and, uh, and and positioning these animals in a way that they haven't been haven't been positioned before in terms of the number of people who are actually you know in support of those animals mm -hmm. being able to live their life out and so I think that was an interesting point it was kind of a watershed I hope in that sense in that this really threw this whole issue of coexistence like right out in front of everybody. And, you know, we've seen things happen as a result of the coverage uh, and, and um, you know, the exposure of some of the aspects of it, like the fining and jailing of, of people who are feeding that, mm -hmm. that you know, create, sets a precedent for, for, for what, how cows are treated going forward. And so I think there's positives and ne negatives here, but, um, you know the the biggest challenge is is when you're when you're a scientist and you're trying and you're you you feel compelled to respond to the questions because you want that you want the facts laid out properly to help people understand the situation, and then when you see it twisted in a way where those important facts are either mis misrepresented like just looking at the total number of bites. Um, or the factors instead of the factors underlying them, um, or whole, whole or the whole thing is lost. It actually makes it makes you not want to engage in the process, and yeah. the process itself of, of of 
you know, using and, and working, so not using, but working with the media to try to disseminate knowledge is so important. But the process of sensationalism actually puts you in a position where you don't want to engage as a scientist because you're just, you spend so much time trying to undo the misperceptions that, that come from the, you know, the, the wrong pieces of information being laid out there. And, you know, I think that has the effect of the media becomes a checkpoint where we don't actually, you know, it stops the democratization of knowledge. Yeah, it, it, it does create an us or them situation as well um, in that I, I have found in some of these circumstances, it becomes, well, there's the people who want something, you know, drastic done and there's the people who want to do science and they are just pitted against each other sometimes too, which is unfortunate because there's so much stuff in between those two points. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. Like it's, it's not yeah, just this sure. or that it's this, this sure. vast array of possibility. Uh, but it leads into this one uh, interview you did. Uh, and I, I was amazed by this and I've written an article about it and it, it's really interesting. So to summarize, you're on a live morning show. You are a minute and 34 seconds into your interview and uh, you have spent 90 seconds very eloquently explaining, I believe it's six different factors that go into it, which include chronic feeding, displacement of coyotes, ingested toxins and or drugs, possible abuse, lack of enforcement and non-compliance with rules. And the anchor comes back with these animals might be under some sort of drug induced rampage right now. <laughs> and I, I remember watching that and just being like, well, that didn't just happen. That couldn't have just happened. No one could have listened to a 90 second explanation that listed six significant factors, all unique and all contributing to this and walked away with drug induced rampage. But it's what happened. And you were fortunate in because this was live, you were able to be well and interrupt and then kind of address that. And you say like, yep, okay, so I wouldn't say that, but there are a lot of different behaviors that have a lot of different things behind them. So it's not really coexistence anymore. And then the other anchor says, but you're pointing to the homeless encampment as a main reason why, to which you just respond, no, and then explain again. And it is a rare example uh, of watching this actually happen, uh, of them take information being given and incorrectly summarizing it in a sensationalized soundbite to try and get you to then agree to it. Um, and fortunately, again, you, you are quite skilled at this and adept at it, and we're able to correct all of the information live. But when it, uh, what ended up happening is other media outlets would take segments of that interview or segments of your statement and run with that as if it were the entire statement. Uh, and I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about what that was like to sort of go through that experience and then see this result, or, or is it very much what you just described in talking about kind of not wanting to play anymore? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I have to say that was, it, you know, it was, I was shocked as it was happening um, mm -hmm. because, because, and, you know, I think people don't realize how much time it takes to prepare for these, these 
you know, these kinds of interviews, because you want to boil it down to the, the essence, right? And, yeah. and in this case, I had, I had reviewed all the lines of evidence, and I put those into what I thought were very, you know, clear, clear points, and also made the point that, the, that all of these things are happening as a constellation of things, right? And so when that happened, I've actually never had that I've never had that happen in an interview um, yeah. where something was hijacked like that. Um, and, you know, I, I think two things here. One is that if, if it were not live, I wouldn't have had the opportunity. It would have just been spun out. Like yeah. just that one, obviously that one factor of I was blaming the homeless would have been was would have been spun out and the the thing was that really really took me aback because in no way would i blame the victims of society for what's yeah. going on here right and i was very careful on how how i was explaining that it's 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 a process of habitat degradation degradation anyway yeah so i was quite shocked by that and but i did have the opportunity to push back but i think you know, if I didn't have as much um, time working with the media as I do, it might have been a lot more difficult for me to actually push back and just, you know, clarify that because it was so, it, it was such an incorrect and inflammatory interpretation that it, it had so much potential to damage people, to damage underprivileged people, to damage the victims of society, to, it, it was, making me say something that, you know, was outside of my own value system, the way they spun what I was saying anyway. And it was, you know, completely, you know, just blotting out all of the actual, you know, yeah. information in that. So, so um, it was really uh, disturbing, but I think, you know, at, at the one at the, the, the end, I was like, okay, well, I'd had the opportunity to to correct that, and hopefully, because it was live, anybody who saw that uh, would have seen the corrections on that. Again, it's this example when you when you when things get boiled down to such simplistic, you know, us and them, it it, it loses all the nuances, and people can't. But you know, that's you know, I will say there was some fairly good reaction to that that um, uh, news cast in that people were alerted to the fact that there were a number of factors going on here. However, yeah. you know, it was short lived the idea that I might have, that I might have actually been able to correct that information because of course the, the, the media outlets then just grabbed onto, you know, Dr. Alexander said a few things, but yeah, there's drug rampaging. There's coyotes that are in a drug induced rampage running around Stanley Park. And, you know, and and the other that they focused on was, I think I had said in some cases there was abnormal behavior outside of the range of what we would normally see for um, coyotes who were food conditioned. And then, mm -hmm. you know, it got spun onto these coyotes are extremely abnormal. So the one animal that I was referring to, you know, I never got a chance to really detail that it wasn't a population level thing that became the population. And so, you know, I, honestly, at the end of that, I was like, why, why do I subject myself to trying to um, mobilize knowledge through the media? Because in the end you, you, 
and I have I've actually had this happen historically where people react so negatively to what they presume is going on because of how the media have spun it, that they will kill coyotes as a result to to settle some score with me, the academic, when I haven't even, you know, that they, they, they're perceiving something that's actually a distorted version of what I've said, and they react to that, but they actually take that out on coyotes. And so for me, it's, you know, there's a real consequence to this kind of kind of behavior. Um, and, you know, like I've said, one is, is the fact that if I stop speaking or scientists stop speaking, there is no, we stop that process of um, democratizing, you know, knowledge and science. Um, and that's, that's a problem, I think. So, you know, it, it has a personal effect on the person who's doing the interview. And, and, you know, again, you put so much time in trying to distill these things like hours, <laughs> trying to distill what you've, what you've learned over the course of several months um, into something that can be, you know, said within a few minutes, knowing that that's then going to be distilled down further. Um, and so, and it's not like, it's not like you don't have, this isn't, this is something you do um, in addition to doing all of the research, right? It's not a yeah. part of the research process. It's what I feel is a responsibility to society to try to mobilize knowledge, but it's not a requirement. And so I think when you, um, when you have that kind of pushback where you get that kind of, I don't know, just complete and utter distortion, uh, you really wonder why, why you should put yourself through that. Yeah. And I think it is also fair to consider the, as, as you have noted, uh, and for the general public to be aware of is the emotional toll it takes. Uh, again, when, when you're doing an interview, even just like this, a, a relatively relaxed interview with no time crunch and no cameras or anything like that, it still requires a degree of focused listening. Uh, right to make sure like, am I hearing what you're saying correctly how does that relate to the information I have uh, and and how do I respond to what you're saying as an interviewer let alone as the interviewee and in other aspects of my life I, I also have to do that intense listening um, uh, even for silly things like improv humor right it's all about listening and really taking yeah. in a lot of information processing it and doing something with it and if you go through that process um, and then have it kind of in one way or another dismissed or dismantled, it, it is an emotional shot. I, I think if you were to make a direct analogy, it's, well, look at this Lego castle I just built uh, for you because you asked me to, and then the person that asked you to build it comes and kicks it down. It's like, well, why did I bother? If you just wanted to see this piece, why did you ask me to build the whole castle? Yeah, uh, I, I, I think, you know, obviously, me, you know, the... the you. Time is money and, um, you know, in terms of me and time, you know, everything is about getting the message across in the media, about getting that message across as uh, and representing those viewpoints as, you know, diversely as possible in the least amount of time. And I think so there's always that crunch on the end of, of the, the person who's trying to put the thing together. And so, you know, you you grasp it. But I think also media do a really good job when they're when they're displaying that story of of sort of 
you don't see what's going on behind the scenes. And so unless yeah. you're involved in that process of, of doing media engage, you know, engagement like this, you, you can look at that and go, well, that must, you know, wow. Like that person just said 20 seconds worth of stuff. There's, there's, you don't see what's behind that, the preparation, the anxiety, the standing in front of, you know, for some people who haven't done it, you, you might not realize what it takes to actually stand in front of a camera and, and, and know that you're potentially going to be scrutinized severely Mm -hmm. for what, what, what you're, you're going to say, if it's a controversial topic, you don't know exactly how your information is going to get spun. You don't know exactly how that question is going to come at you. You prepare yourself, but you don't really know how that question is going to get rolled out until that moment. So you have to think really quickly on your feet. You have to be completely on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so energetically, it, it takes a lot uh, to do that. And so I think you're right. In the end, when you when, when, when you kind of have it dismantled and, um, um, and, and, and in a way that actually it just, if, if it's spun in a completely just sensational way, it just, it takes away all of the work that went into not just preparing that, but all of that research that you've done along the way, it just, it just, it trivializes it. And I think yeah. this is, this is something that, you know, it's it's an amazing process to be a part of um, dissemination of knowledge this way, uh, but I think it's invisible to people, to a lot of people, yeah. as to what it takes to make that. And you know, you might be on for five seconds, but you've spent an hour um, in in an interview, right? <laughs> the, the, yeah, I was just gonna say that's the, the the worst. I mean, one of my favorite stories to tell. I I don't remember who interviewed me, but it was some big thing about trapping, and they asked me like fifteen questions. It was a 15, 15 20 minute long television pre recorded interview, which is very rare to be given that much time to talk for television. Uh, and I uh, I went and I watched the clip from late like later that night. And it's a two minute long news story. And from the 15, 20 minutes I was on camera, they took me waving my arms and going, well, I don't get it. And that's it. And I was like, what the heck? Like it, it was not an opinion. There was no fact. It was just me. Wait, you can see me doing this right now. The audience can't be going, what's going on? Why are we talking? Like, it was just so silly that they even bothered putting me in the thing. Well, just just don't include me. I, That's fine. I, don't include me. I know. I I think there's there are points where I've done some. Um, you know, I've had some interviews with with people where they have the the coverage has just been amazing. And I think, like I say, it's more often that way now than than not. And I think that this this Stanley Park situation was it was an exception rather than the rule. Um, but but yeah, it's uh, you know I've I've come to a point where I I try to you know I wrestle between should I should I never do this again or um, you know for the past while I've just I've I've looked and gone okay well how much damage was actually done and is the bulk of the story yeah. regardless of the fact that many of the facts haven't been quite correctly um, articulated are they, will they have caused damage to the coyotes? Um, you know, you just have, you have to weigh it out and say, is there some positives that are in here that will help the, the, the general pu- public, um, you know, feel more empowered to engage 
um, and, and be, you know, with coyotes and be less, you know, less fearful. So I think I try to just look at it that way because there are going to be subtle misinterpretations in that. And, and that's, yeah. you know, that's just the way it is when things are trying to get condensed. But I know when you, when you end up in one of those situations where it's like, yeah, yeah. your arm waving example is, is, a, is, is, is great. Um, because, yeah. you know, in that case, of course, you know, it's not just that the, the all that valuable information got lost. It's actually, whether it's intended to or not, it it's it's mocking you, right? Like a little bit, yeah. It could be interpreted people, that way easily. Yeah, people will look at that and and just see that they they'll only see that's what looks like an emotional reaction, mm-hmm. and um, that you know without the context is 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 going to lead you down the a wrong path, but. You know, I mean, and the other thing that I think people probably don't realize as a result of doing media is it's not like it's over, right? Like you, you, for one thing, it can continue as, as, and I think we might talk a little bit more about the Stanley Park one, but, you know, it can continue in the sense that because something like talking about coyotes is so polarizing, you, I I will personally get hate mail um, following up from that. And, um, you know, it doesn't happen a lot, but it doesn't have to happen a lot for it to really um, degrade your sense of safety, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, when people are threatening, they're going to harm you um, for what you said because they don't like what you said. They're going to come and they're going to harm you. Uh, they're going to, you know, s- seek you out. You know, it it, it, it does erode your sense of uh, safety and um, uh and again, it's just one more, you know, that's got nothing to do with the media portrayal itself. It's got to no, be this other. No, that's, that, that has to do with toxic masculinity, misogyny, and an unwillingness to learn and grow as human beings. But Well, all um, this, all the worst, I, you know, I, I can't say that it's always, I mean, it depends on how you define masculinity, but it hasn't, hasn't been men, um, in my case, that have been the most violent. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. So that's in terms of what they, you know, however that's internalized from people. Uh, it's hard. It, it is hard to be on the receiving end of it, regardless of how well prepared you may be or how professional you may be. Well, and I think, I think the thing to remember here too, is that it's not like these are, these are, you know, in the realm of, of, things that can happen to you. I mean, it's disturbing when people do this, but I mean, you know, at the same time, it's an incredibly privileged position to be able to be into influence. And I, and I, I don't lose, lose sight of that. And so I do try to spin it back onto, you know, if it gets distorted, you know, what is, what's the damage to coyotes? Because that's, that's the main thing. I mean, people are going to think what they're going to think about me, but if, if me engaging in these things is potentially going to backfire and harm coyotes, then that's my, that's my measure. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and, and I think it's a cost of anybody who does things publicly that, you know, people are going to react uh, no matter what it is. It's, it's, people are going to react. So you kind of have to figure out how to deal with that. So it's not, you know, uh, I'm certainly not bemoaning the privilege to be able to engage in these things. It's just, I think it's, it's that, that all of this kind of stuff is invisible to people. Um, and, and it's not just the interviewee, the, the, you know, I've, I've heard, uh, in the interviewers themselves, the, um, who, who are, who are harassed and yelled at. So I just oh, think yeah. there's, you know, there's, there's, uh, 
there's there's some intolerance in every corner and uh, and it's challenging. But for me, the like I say, the biggest thing is that it's is is what just got reported going to harm coyotes more than it will help uh, the general public. I think that's a that's a very good measuring stick, so to speak, of is this is this helpful or harmful? Is it helping coyotes and helping people or is it harming people or is it harming people's ability to manage and learn? Right. Because that's the thing is a lot of times I think people think there's more going on than there actually is. Right. It's just this is just the information. There's no agenda. Well, and I I think. I think if if anything, you know, the message that I would love to get to to media, you know, what and of, of all forms is that, you know, to be cognizant of the fact that the language that is used or some of these decisions that might seem totally benign on how it's presented actually has real consequences for 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 these animals because it because of the animal itself because of such there's such negative sentiment um, that isn't based in evidence but there's that being aware that there needs to be ultra sensitivity about how these things are rolled out uh, it's not like dealing with any other species or you know there's other species that are maligned like sharks and that but um mm. You know, you just you have to be extra careful with how it's it's dealt out with the images that are used because of the potential to spark fear and because of the potential to actually end up having more animals killed as a result of, you know, uh, just the use of, you know, one one wrong word. And. um, Yeah, so I I think the other thing I wanted just to to finish off in terms of sensationalism was, you know, going back to the Stanley Park one was, you know, for people who don't know, that that story went from quite a detailed, nuanced, you know, description. It was a nice long coverage. So, I mean, on that hand, it was good. And um, but because of that one, you know, re- I don't know what you would call it, but the 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 restating of what I'd said as to the homeless, the reimagining, the reimagining of, of, of yeah. it to to me having said that you know the homeless were to blame for the attacks by cuts, you know that went and 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 their terminology saying that you know what so was I saying that these cuts were in a drug induced rampage, you know that that then those snippets went national. Mm-hmm. Um, there was then media coverage that went international to the United States and they wanted, uh, um, and, and then because there was no context for the comments on the access to, um, to toxic substances and drugs, right. yeah. they, that, that was then sent to a scientist in the States who, you know, wrote back and said, well, coyotes would never, you know, go and, it was just totally misunderstood because the context wasn't there. And so they came back yeah. with a negative, you know, rejecting that theory without having had the information, which then complicated the story. Right. And then that same media went, went over to the UK and was published as, um, I think, I can't remember the exact title, but it was like drug induced coyotes attacking picnickers in Stanley yeah. park. 
it was it was a weird combination yeah. of actual fact <laughs> and random things. language yeah. from other articles yeah, yeah I remember so that it was drug-induced coyotes or drug drug-induced rampaging coyotes attack picnickers and you know i mean so the you know original story like you said there was like i said there's six sort of intersecting factors here um and then it was gone from that to that all of these coyotes are on drugs to not only that it took an event that happened at 1 a.m in the morning uh and used that event and called that those people were called picnickers and so it yeah. stuck all of those together into one very sensational story, which went um, across the UK. And so it's like, so so this all that people all that people know then of this whole story is not the parts that matter and not the parts that we can fix and that n- desperately need to be addressed, but just this, you know, this. This story that is is. There's no, there's no anchoring in reality. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, uh, that's also an issue in terms of media literacy. Um, and, and this will, will segue nicely into the wrap-up question. Uh, I do think there is an issue of media literacy right now, and I think social media has made that worse. And I think that media networks playing into the social media content game has made it worse. So by that, I mean the need to be creating new content constantly not with the intent necessarily to create quality content but to increase user engagement so as to increase potential advertising advertising revenue like when that becomes sort of the primary focus of what you're doing and how you're doing it or or even becomes a large part of what you're doing and how you're doing it I just think this way leads madness for media, for journalism, because at that point, it is no longer news. It is entertainment. And I'm not going to say entertainment doesn't have its place. I I love a fall down gag as much as the next guy. But you got to news needs to be fact based. It needs to be. Well, yeah, I mean, I can't I can't imagine what it's like to have to keep up as a as a news reporter to keep up in that kind of sphere, because it's just got to be it's got to be frantic. Right. And and I don't think, I think I would assume, I'm not a reporter, but I would assume that most people that go into that really have gone into it with the interest of, of trying to tell the story. Right. And then suddenly they're constrained by this need to produce things super quickly. They always were, but now it's like, it's like you say, it's even ramped up. There's other issues though, with social media that I think um, are, are important here too. And it's that the, that it, it sort of, it just takes this whole, um, this amplification of fear that can happen from media, which tip, you know, used to happen fairly, it was a bit more delayed, right? Because it was like, mm-hmm. it was a hard copy paper comes out. Then there's a digital version of that and people have to read it and then they become upset about it. Now it's bomb, you're bombarded. And there's yep. all of these apps that people have now, like next door app. And, and so one person will report that they see a coyote and they're afraid of what they've just seen. They have no idea what they've seen, but they interpret mm-hmm. what they've just seen as it's walking down the sidewalk. It's, this is an example, see, you know, hypothetical example. It's walking down the sidewalk um, and that's, you know, it's, it's not in a place that it's supposed to be. And so it's reported right away, you know, with this frantic tone that these coyotes are taking over the neighborhood there on the sidewalk. And, mm-hmm. and, that then can, if, if another person down the road sees that same animal like 
three seconds later, it gets reported again. And these look like independent events. Um, and, and so overall, all these people are getting binged with this information uh, of, of this. And, it, and it, it just starts to, I think, escalate for people because there's this sense of, well, people are seeing coyotes everywhere, as opposed to like this one coyote walks down through the neighborhood and gets reported 16 times. So there's this, this issue of that. And then, but then there's also, I mean, and th these are not, th I say it's hypothetical, but these are based on, you know, things that I've seen happen in, in this social media platform. But then you also have um, things like where someone will, will interpret what they, they see. So they see a coyote and they'll say, well, this one, it was definitely 75 pounds. And based on, you know, what they're there, they won't, they might be comparing it to something they've seen. There's nothing for them to reference it to. They may have zero experience with coyotes and that then becomes fact. So then the neighborhood yeah. becomes frightened by the fact they think there's a 75 pound coyote roaming around. And then one other person will weigh in and say, well, it's probably a hybrid. And, and, and then that becomes like this, this point of, oh my gosh, they're, they're hybridizing with our dogs and they're hybridizing. And, you know, all of it is, is false information, right? Mm -hmm. From the point of it's biologically not possible for a coyote to be that big. Um, and it's very easy, especially in fall and winter to make, for them to look much bigger than they are 35 to 40 pounds, 17 to 20 kilograms. Like you're, that's, 20 kilograms would be a large coyote. So it's just not, not going to happen. But that what's been reported in social media then becomes the fact, this idea of hybridization, right? There's no factual and no evidential basis for that. But that becomes the reality for people who are who are who are watching that. And so, and then there's this hypervigilance, right? The there's no peace for these animals. Um that that are living it with this constant lens on them and so i think you know that's been a really um you know it's a concerning trend to me on on a number of levels well, and, and I think some of that stuff that you're talking about, though, like the, the neighborhood apps, that that concept, that reporting concept has proven harmful to wildlife. So, you know, you and I and others have looked at the um, media sites that will have report a coyote and, and it ends up being totally wild. Right. Because, you know, half of them are foxes. Some of them are dogs. Some of them have wild claims attached that are never looked into, but exist because it's crowdsourced information. Uh, and information doesn't become intelligence or news until it's been corroborated. So it, it's just this random bits of information with no basis to it. Well, but I think the, the other aspect that we need to look at, too, is the flip side of it, of people equally not seeking truth or fact, who then say, well, the coyotes are starved, so I have to go feed them. Or, right, like it's, it, it is not just the negative side of media sensationalism that carries through on social, it is all misinformation. And unfortunately, the biggest one, I think, tends to be the sensational aspect of, you know, 90 pound German Shepherd sized coyotes coming to break into your window and steal your Honda Civic. Um, but there is then a flip side to it. And I think that that's the sort of the wrap up point is, how can people, ordinary consumers of traditional and social media who want to protect wildlife or, or want to be able to do something when they see things starting to spin like this, are there things that they can do or are there steps they can take to try and stop that spin or at the very least 
uh, create an opportunity for more fact-based education or information? Yeah, I think, you know, not being a media specialist myself, uh, other than how it's used for this purpose, you know, it's, I don't have all the answers to that, but certainly, you know, a, on the, as you say, the flip side of the, the negative part of the social media is the fact that there are also people on there who are excited that there was a coyote in the neighborhood, right? And so I think that becomes a place where if people are seeing a negative spin and they understand that, you know, that observation differently, that's a place that it's, it's really necessary, I think, to engage, you know, being quiet in those situations um, perpetuates the negative stereotype as, and it, it's, you know, I think it's easy to look at it and say, well, I don't, you know, I don't think that way. Most people don't think that way, but without stepping forward and, and negating it, it, it continues to live on as, as fact, or at least uncontested fact. And um, so I think there's a role there within social media for people who are comfortable with that, you know, and to, to tell stories and to, you know, um, not over surveil and take photos of coyotes in every place they see, but, um, you know, to engage somehow there, because there is the offset there is that if you, if you post too many photos of coyotes in certain places, then people who don't like them are going to go in and do something negative. But I think that there's, there is opportunity there to really start to push out different messaging. And you see people do see different organizations doing that. Of course, you know, um, uh, you know, Def- Defenders does that. Coyote Watch Canada does that. I see other organizations who are nonprofits who are trying to help increase the positive ends of the stories. But I think yeah. I think citizens can engage in that easily, and those who are comfortable with it, uh, with doing that. And the, the other the other part though is you know it's it's just questioning what you're reading and what's the you know always questioning what's presented as fact and what's presented as so binary as to whether or not it actually is like that, you know, and and you've mentioned this already, there's a tendency to pit people against each other. So I might yeah. be just pitted against, we, I might be pitted against, you know, the government um, when we've actually said the exact same thing, but just to make this, the story more more exciting it's presented as if we never have a conversation and so yeah. that's that's an important thing for for to interrogate as well as to look at it and say what is you know what's going on under this story and, and before reacting to it um uh just trying to get at some of that other information that's there uh, I think asking follow-up questions is such a huge one too. And that's, that's what I still do. And people around me can attest to the fact that if you see me watching television news, I will shout at the television, like it's the Super Bowl, And I've got a hundred thousand dollars on the game. If they don't ask why in a story, or if they don't explain something in a story, because they either didn't think to do it and should have, or didn't think to include it. And I think they should have. Um, and it, it, it's, it's really harmful to everyone around me because I get very aggressive about it, but I think, I think there's a role in, for sure, in, in media literacy. And I, th- you know, to be honest, I think people have become much more, you know, savvy to this as we've gone through the, the pandemic and are going, mm. continuing to go through the pandemic where that, 
you know, what information is being put out there and, and with things like social media platforms that are, you know, algorithms that are biasing information. I think that the general public's becoming way more attuned to that and have been for quite a while. Um, so it's just continuing to put that lens on and continuing to interrogate what, what you're reading uh, is, is really important. To check out the original study or more of Shelley's work, follow the links in your podcast app or on the show notes at DefenderRadio.com. I want to thank Shelley for her time, particularly since her work has made such a sizable impact on my own career. A significant part of why I am where I am right now is because of the paper we spoke about today, our early conversations, and the ensuing years of discourse between us. Shelley, and all you other researchers out there who maybe don't hear this enough, thank you for your dedication, passion, and all you've provided to the world. If you're a fan of Segways, I hope you'll follow me on social media at Howie Michael on Instagram and TikTok and Defender Radio Podcast on Facebook. An Instagram contest is kicking off for the first week of November 2021, so get a follow in by then for updates. Thank you for listening and for all you do for the animals. Until next time, I'm Michael Howie for Defender Radio and the Fur Bears, grateful for your kindness. 